0: History this week, November 16th, 1532. I'm Sally Helm. Atahualpa rides on a throne, decorated with gold and feathers. This is something of a victory march. He's being carried by his servants. His lords all around him are being carried, too, on less fancy litters, not so many feathers. They're all wearing gold crowns and ornate pendants— And they're surrounded by soldiers, 80,000 of them. Atahualpa is the ruler of the Inca Empire, an area that once stretched from what is now Argentina and Chile to southern Colombia. His title is actually The Inca. He came to power pretty recently, after a brutal, bloody fight with his brother. It led to a civil war that Atahualpa won. And today he's come to the highland town of Cajamarca to meet with a small crew of Spaniards who have sailed across the world on a mission of plunder and conquest. As Atahualpa understands it, today they want to surrender to him, celebrate his might. So he rides into the plaza in Cajamarca to meet them in this ceremonial procession. But when he gets there, the plaza is empty Not a Spaniard to be seen. And yet, within two hours, 7,000 of Atahualpa's soldiers will be dead. And the Inca himself will be a Spanish prisoner. Today, the Spaniard Francisco Pizarro and just 168 Spanish soldiers capture Atahualpa and begin their conquest of the Inca Empire. But... What was happening in the Andes before the Spaniards arrived that set the stage for this conflict? And when history is written by the victors, how can we tell what's really true?
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
0: The Inca Empire centered on land in what is now Peru. Their vast territory included mountains, beaches, rainforests, deserts, even tundra.
2: The Inca has built an empire that has almost two-thirds of the Earth's landforms in it. It's extraordinarily diverse.
0: Professor Alan Covey knows this because he's walked it. Covey is an anthropologist at UT Austin. He just published a book about the Inca. It's called Inca Apocalypse. And he's also an archaeologist. With his team, he has gone all over the area that the Inca used to rule, surveying it to see what's left.
2: We've hiked, I think, the equivalent of about 30,000 miles, getting an inventory of sites occupied across a region across time. We spread out about 50 yards apart, and it could be isolated arrowheads from... 5,000 years ago, it could be Inca palaces, everything in between.
0: The Inca Empire started in the city of Cusco. In 1438, the Inca Pachacuti defended the city from attack. And after his victory, he began to rapidly expand the empire.
2: Cusco, uh, some people think that that word in Quechua means belly button or navel, that it's the center of their universe, and the body of the empire stretches out in four directions from the center of the Inca capital. They thought of these four regions as appendages, and they call the empire Tawantinsuyu, which means the four parts bound together.
0: Pachacuti conquered a lot of territory— The famous Machu Picchu was likely built under his rule. It may even have been his personal estate. When he died, he picked a son to be his successor, and that son further expanded the empire. Inca territory was connected by this vast road system, including suspension bridges to cross water. Along the road, there were message relay stations and these big administrative centers.
2: But if you go off the road, 10 miles in either direction, it can be hard to see the Incas in the local towns. They weren't like a government today that builds post offices and county seats where you can see government kind of in your everyday life.
0: In some places, life continued roughly as it had before the Inca came conquering. People worshipped their own regional deities. They farmed things like quinoa and sweet potatoes and peppers. They didn't feel all that connected to Cusco.
2: There are a lot of people that, they're not committed to the Inca project. And when the Spanish get there, they find a lot of allies.
0: The Spanish land in what Europeans would come to call the New World in 1492. They won't make it to Inca territory for another few decades. But around the same time as Columbus is making landfall, a new Inca comes to power. Pachacuti's grandson. His name is
2: Huayna Capac. The name Huayna is the name for... A youth who has been initiated as a young man, but who isn't ready to get married yet. And in fact, there are versions that say that he was so young when he was brought to power that they hastened his initiation and pierced his his ears in Inca fashion so that he would at least be recognized as being a young adult.
0: Huayna Capac comes to power so hastily because there's been a succession battle. The previous Inca, his father had sons with multiple women, and those women were each pushing for one of their children to become the Inca. This was pretty typical.
2: A lot of the work of empire was family work. And so the palace became this nexus of all this female power with one Inca male there. Uh, But female power is super important.
0: This fact about Inca society kind of went over the Spaniards' heads when they ultimately did arrive in Inca territory.
2: They would wander into Inca temples and they'd say, oh, there's this old man. He must be the priest. And there are these 500 women who must be temple assistants. Even now, some Western theories see the work that Inca women did as kind of, quote, women's work rather than as political work and work that sustained the empire.
0: But sustain the empire it did. Huayna Capac's mother successfully pushes for her son to be the Inca. Professor Covey told us she was the most important woman in the Americas during his rule. As Inca, her son conquers more territory in what is now Ecuador. The empire building is proceeding apace, but trouble is coming for Huayna In 1519, the Spaniard Hernando Cortez begins his conquest of the Aztec Empire in what is now Mexico, and his men bring diseases— smallpox and others, new germs to the Native people in the Americas. They had no immunity.
2: I mean, I think in the era of COVID, we can kind of understand the pandemic idea of this in a way that maybe we couldn't have really grasped as easily before this year. The
0: disease travels down from Aztec territory to the Inca Empire. And it spreads.
2: Killing, you know, maybe 30, 40 percent of people in the empire. We don't really know.
0: 30 to 40% could have been more than 4 million people. Cortes also creates another problem that will come to threaten the Inca Empire. He gives other Spaniards a taste for the life of a conquistador because he gets rich. And one man in particular takes notice of that Francisco Pizarro.
2: Legend has it that he crossed paths with Cortes, who is bringing treasure back from the Aztec world.
0: Pizarro is very interested in treasure. He's not a highborn guy, and he believes he can find wealth in the New World. He sets out in 1509 and plunders various parts of Central and South America. He is ruthless in his quest. He shows no regard for the lives of the indigenous people. When he's in what is now Panama, he hears about a land to the south that is rich in gold, the Inca Empire. He tries to go there in 1524, but suffers losses in battles with the indigenous people and heads back to Spain for a bit. And around the same time, in the Inca Empire, tragedy strikes. Huayna Capac himself succumbs to the disease that is sweeping through his world.
2: He wasn't an old man. He was still in his adult prime. They say his hair hadn't gone white yet, and he hadn't really figured out who was going to be the Inca after him.
0: This sends the Inca line of succession into disarray.
2: His frontier captains up in Ecuador raised up one of his sons, Atahualpa, and said, we want to follow him. Back in Cusco, in the capital, they raised up a different son named Huascar.
0: These brothers each have different factions supporting them. Atahualpa is up on the frontier with the warriors.
2: So he has the kind of military potency of his father. His brother has the sacred place. That
0: sacred place being the capital,
2: Cusco. He's at the center of the Inca universe. He's the one that's going to come out in the plaza with the most powerful sacred objects, and he's going to oversee ritual life.
0: So Huascar is at the political and religious center of things. But Atahualpa has military might, and both want to be the Inca. Atahualpa, up on the frontier.
2: He tried to build a palace for himself up in Ecuador that would show he was an emperor. He made a statue of his father and then had a coronation ceremony where his father's statue gave him the crown and named him Inca. So he's got some inadequacy issues. Maybe so. But he's also
0: a famously ruthless fighter.
2: He's known for just bloody reprisals against people that stand in his way. Meanwhile... Huascar in Cusco. He would sit in the plaza getting drunk himself during the day. He was full of bluster. He was disrespectful to his mother. Like, there, there are accounts where he's incredibly verbally abusive toward her.
0: If these descriptions of the two brothers sound a bit over the top, that's because they might be. Covey told us that the records we have about these men and this period of history... They come down from various enemy factions. They're filtered through the Spanish or through particular points of view in the Inca Empire. So it's hard to know for sure whether Atahualpa really was so brutal and Huascar really was so disrespectful to his mother. We do know that these two men came to blows. There was a civil war. Huascar musters up some troops using his political might. But they're an inexperienced group of farmers and herders and Atahualpa.
2: He can bring maybe twenty or 30,000 battle-hardened and well-armed shock troops that are used to hand-to-hand have have combat. And that's kind of the story of the engagement in that civil war.
0: Wascar is no match for Atahualpa's well-trained army.
2: Huascar keeps sending general after general north on the road. They get cut to ribbons by the frontier veterans.
0: Atahualpa is coming down from the northern frontier when his soldiers take Cusco.
2: They've captured Huascar, and Atahualpa is kind of, he's staying kind of halfway between uh, Quito and Cusco and waiting for his brother to be brought to him as a prisoner and then also monitoring what these strangers on the coast are doing.
0: The strangers on the coast are Pizarro and his men. Pizarro has returned. He's been granted permission by the Spanish king to come back to the Inca empire and found some Spanish colonial cities. But he's mostly interested in enriching himself. He's been on this particular voyage of plunder and brutal conquest for about a year. And when he arrives in Inca territory in 1532, the civil war is nearing its end.
2: The Spaniards are supposed to go to an Inca city called Tumbes, which is on the north coast of Peru. And by the time they finally get there, that city's been burned out in the civil war. It was clear to them that something big had happened. And as they moved down the coast, they realized that they were following maybe a few months behind Atahualpa's coastal troops who were coming through valley by valley and basically bringing his vengeance against people who hadn't supported him.
0: So Pizarro is passing among people who have been treated badly by the Inca, and who may be ready to align with this outsider. Atahualpa gets word of the Spaniards' presence. It's not exactly clear to him who they are.
2: Supposedly, there's a debate over, you know, who are they? There's some people that say, well, they might be supernatural. I don't like to put it that way because Europeans have played up this idea that Native people saw them as gods. I think that what happened is when the Spaniards are coming through Ecuador, they start reading a document that they're required to read on first contact with Native people, reading it through translators, uh, kids that they've captured and enslaved and taken to Spain with them so they can learn some Spanish. And the document says, well, God created all of us. He created us over in Spain and you're here, and God sent us out to spread religion.
0: The document says, you can accept our presence and become Christians, but if you resist, we're going to fight you.
2: And this document, when read through translation, if they're using, like, the Quechua word for creator, it may have sounded to Native people like the Spanish are landing and saying, we are the creator returned. We have come from the creator and we're emissaries who represent the creator.
0: Atahualpa sends out spies to investigate and that holy image quickly
2: changes. They saw them eat, they saw them die. They know what the Spaniards are about.
0: In Pizarro's own mind, what he is about is capturing the ruler of this land and holding him for ransom. He wants to find Atahualpa because he wants gold. And he catches up with the Inca just outside Cajamarca, in the Andean highlands, several hundred miles north of Cusco. The Spanish move in and occupy the city. There aren't any Inca troops in Cajamarca. They're with Atahualpa.
2: He's a few miles out of town at these hot springs, where he's trying to act like an emperor and be in this sort of palatial retreat.
0: Some of Pizarro's men come out to the hot springs to speak with him. They basically say, We come in peace. We want to help you rule your kingdom and secure your place as Inca. Inca
2: we want you to know Pizarro says that he loves you and he, he wants to be like your brother and we will fight for you. So that if there's anyone that's giving you trouble, send us and we'll fight. So so they were, they were trying to say in their own way, we represent Charles V and if you surrender to him and let us kind of run things through you, we wanna be your allies. But what they came sounding like was we surrender to you.
0: Plus, they accept Atahualpa's offer of food and drink, which to him marks them as his subjects. The Spaniards and Atahualpa arrange a meeting for the next day in the plaza in Cajamarca. Atahualpa thinks it's to celebrate his might. Anyway, he has nothing to fear from these people. His soldiers outnumber the Spanish 80,000 to 168. But Pizarro is laying a trap.
2: They set up for an ambush in the plaza. So they have their soldiers mounted in the buildings around the plaza. They're wearing their armor. They set up a cannon.
0: There's a narrow causeway that leads from the hot springs to the city. When Atahualpa's army crosses it, they'll be out of formation and exposed. In the plaza, the Spanish will strike. The next morning, November 16th, 1532, Atahualpa begins his march.
2: People are in their kind of ceremonial best, his bodyguards who are dressed in these checkerboard-colored mantles. They sweep the road, they're singing victory songs along the way. And at the head are the highest-ranking people with Atahualpa in the front.
0: Pizarro and his men can see the procession coming, but Atahualpa and his men can't see the Spaniards.
2: So they come into the Inca city and there's no one there the Spaniards are all hidden. He's mad. He's like, they ran off.
0: Atahualpa starts shouting for them. Meanwhile...
2: The Spaniards, they're, they're ready to attack. They have artillery ready to uh, fire from, from the plaza. So he's, he probably sees their right? He's like, why are you hiding? Like, what's going on?
0: At this moment, Pizarro sends into the plaza a priest, Father Vicente de Valverde
2: who's the last priest left on the expedition, as far as we know. Some of them went home because of how brutal Pizarro already had been.
0: Valverde is there to bargain with Atahualpa.
2: He comes out with this religious book and he starts to talk. And Atahualpa, in my interpretation, he may have seen that religious book and the person who spoke for it the way that he would have seen a sacred object and the person who would have spoken for it.
0: In Inca spiritual tradition, this could happen. A sacred object, called a waka could speak to a person. It's also important to note here that the Incas had no written language, meaning that the idea of a book would have been completely foreign. The Inca instead used what were called quipu, a series of knotted cords where the sequence of knots recorded information.
2: So, Atahualpa asks to see the book. And so Valverde gives him the book, and he sort of shakes it around, and he's like, it doesn't talk to me. And it makes him angry, because he said, you're all basically pretending. You don't speak to the supernatural the way that Incas do. And he throws it on the ground.
0: When Atahualpa does this, Valverde gives a signal.
2: And then the Spaniards come racing out on horseback, and they just start hacking at everything that's moving.
0: The Inca soldiers are trying to escape, but there are so many that it becomes a stampede
2: and it's so powerful of a stampede that the people trying to flee the plaza actually supposedly knock down one of the walls.
0: The Spanish are using swords, crossbows, cannons, and the Inca soldiers are virtually unarmed.
2: It was such a reversal of what the Inca thought was going to happen. They were in a ceremonial procession. They weren't invading or coming to battle.
0: Amid all the chaos, Pizarro personally takes Atahualpa prisoner.
2: And Atahualpa later said the Spaniards killed about 7,000 of his men in, in a couple of hours. That's it's a crazy body count.
0: How many Spaniards were killed? None. And with this stunning defeat, the Inca Empire is thrown into chaos. While Atahualpa is technically Pizarro's prisoner, the situation is more complicated than that.
2: Pizarro is surrounded by still an Inca army deep in Inca territory, and Atahualpa has seen his army scattered and he knows that there's still factionalism and he's got a lot of enemies in the Andes, and so they both need each other.
0: They end up striking an agreement — the exact agreement that Pizarro came here hoping for. Atahualpa offers rooms full of silver and gold as a ransom. Pizarro accepts. And then Atahualpa is actually treated pretty well. He's allowed to live in a palace. And though Pizarro doesn't know it, he will become a pawn in Atahualpa's political game.
2: Sending the Spaniards to plunder enemy locations like the palaces in Cusco that belong to kind of rival Inca households... So so he's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to ransom myself with the treasure that belongs to my enemies.
0: But eventually, Atahualpa's enemies are sick of being plundered. And some of them, princes, go to Pizarro and try to turn him against Atahualpa. They say,
2: You don't really want this dangerous warlord running loose, do you?
0: Pizarro decides he'd better listen to these princes. He drums up some charges against Atahualpa, accusing him of raising an army against the Spanish.
2: But no one ever sees the army.
0: There's a show trial, and Atahualpa is sentenced to death. He's going to be burned at the stake. This is an especially horrible way to die in Incan culture, because the Inca was traditionally mummified so that he could live on in the afterlife. Pizarro offers Atahualpa a gruesome bargain. If he converts to Christianity, he can instead be executed by strangulation. Atahualpa agrees. And?
2: They strangle him and then leave his body out in the night.
0: Afterwards, the Spaniards name a new Inca and go with him to Cusco. But he dies on the way. He may have been poisoned by one of his enemies. The Spaniards name a different Inca. They think he's their puppet, but he later fights against them. It all gets very messy.
2: Europeans, centuries later, wanted to make it sound definitive and easy because they claim superiority, but reading closely shows that it was a lot more complicated.
0: After about 40 years, though, the Spanish are in control. And beginning pretty much right away, they make the story of Atahualpa's capture at Cajamarca into a myth. They say it was a miracle, the result of divine intervention. The Spaniards were chosen by God. And the version of the story that we've just told you, the story scholars generally agree on, for a long time, people didn't know it. The political conflict in the Inca Empire, the bald trickery by the Spaniards, that wasn't the story that the Europeans wanted to tell. And there's no real archaeological record of something like that battle at Cajamarca, so we have to rely on accounts — accounts that were written by biased people with something to gain, that historians have to interpret. One thing that really stood out to Covey as he was trying to untangle all this was the similarities between the two different sides, despite the way that the Spanish had portrayed the Inca in their accounts as a backwards, primitive society.
2: The thing that, that really I found striking is how much the Spaniards and the Incas kind of understood each other, that there, there isn't this divide between a kind of modern, enlightened European and some sort of backward, superstitious Inca, that, that they had some similar motives in terms of building power or attaining wealth or making good alliances. And
0: on the Inca side, The Spaniards walked blindly into a situation where all these groups were fighting for power.
2: They're really factionalized. There's a lot of diversity. There are a lot of different motivations.
0: Those complicated motivations were for a long time lost to history. They've only been recovered through painstaking work by people like Alan Covey. And still, there are surely parts of this story that we'll just never know because the accounts are so dominated by Spaniards, by the winners. Covey told us that in itself is important to recognize. These accounts were meant to show Spanish superiority, to make their victory seem inevitable. But it wasn't inevitable, and the Spanish weren't superior. There were points where they certainly could have been defeated by the Inca. That's a story they didn't want to tell, but one that is now finally being put back together. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. And for history anytime, anywhere, sign up for a seven-day free trial of History Vault, where you can stream over 2,000 award-winning documentaries and series from your favorite device with new videos added every week. To start your free trial, visit historyvault.com forward slash podcast today. This episode was produced by Ben Dickstein. History This Week is also produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosado, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts, and we will see you next week.